Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome. We have a great show with you today. Dr. Look, I've got somebody joining us here today. You're going to hear this. Dr. Gabia Talikade. I think I got that right. Joining me here today. So we're going to get insights from a neuroscientist to talk about, to show us what we can do. Can you change? What the F? can't I change? Just saying. I didn't say the word, Benny. You don't have to believe I was so right worried. There. I was yeah, so worried. I know worried, you were Pat. a little worried right there, but you're a little loose in the tongue it. some days, but you got I'm it. I'm a little bit loose in the yep. tongue some mm-hmm. days. That's true. But have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, yeah, WTF. Much yeah. better. Thank you. Yeah. Can't I, can't I change that? You know, <laughs> what is it about that? Um, during the last show, and I'm going to introduce my very special guest today. During the last show, I and I've mentioned this a lot now recently, because I've kind of been reflecting upon a couple of things. Uh, but back, I think in my 30s, maybe maybe just turning 40, somebody handed me a book by a guy named Viktor Frankl. It's actually not even spelled like you wouldn't say Victor. Like it's really. So I was given that book and, and I said during the last show, the person that gave it to me said, you, you must read this book for you. You've got to read this book. This guy wrote this book for you. Sat on a table for three years until I read it. And when I read it, it was so devastating for me to believe that we have the ability to pretty much envision, enlighten, enhance, and transform ourselves. And I often thought, did that book influence me to want to study the mind more? You know, how often do I think about that? Well, my very special guest today has got a few things to say about that. And the question always comes, especially when I work with other women or I work with other people, the questions that come are, can you really believe 
that you can really change everything. So today we're going to take a really deep dive. Think about some of those habits you've been just like hanging on to this groundbreaking new book. And when we talk about what it means to be a behavioral coach, what it means to change the way we show up in the world, how many layers do you think we're going to talk about today? Um, Thank you so much, Doc. Thank you so much for joining me here today. It's great to have you on the show. It's brilliant to be here. Um, I don't know. You know, some days you wake up and you think, man, I can't do that. Other days you wake up and you say, just get out of my way. I know I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I'm one of these really fortunate people. I grew up with a stepmom that this woman believed she could literally change the world. And um, I guess because she had her first child at 12 and second child at 13. I mean, that's something kind of unusual. But I want to ask you this question. As you go through your life and you've studied and you're writing and you're out in the world, what kind of hit you up in the side of the head that said, holy, I, boy, I am being faced with myself and I am looking at myself and I'm almost ready to tell myself I can't. What was your, I can't? I suppose I hit that only during my PhD. Uh, I was fortunate, you know, to go through life feeling quite lucky. Things felt quite easy up to that point. But during my PhD, just things happened that what could go wrong went wrong in my personal life, family, uh, in in the experiments and so on. And all all things, you know, kind of accumulated together. And dealing with things which kind of were not entirely in our control zone, which felt really, really strange. Like my sister was going through really severe chronic illness, which we were struggling, you know, to battle. And I got in such a dark place where really just getting out of bed was hard. Yeah. And I was like, I just need to survive today. And I spent hours and hours playing like games on my phone instead of doing experiments, you know, instead of writing thesis, I would sit there in an experimental room and just like be, I don't know, like I, I wouldn't even be able to tell what I did for five or eight hours there. My mind was just completely blank. My brain felt like mush, you know, really felt like I couldn't think, I couldn't feel, I couldn't enjoy anything. So that was really, really probably the hardest period uh, in my life. You know, I thought about that, too, when you're talking about that. And I realized that, you know, going back to school at the age I went back to school and doing doctoral work on very challenging. Isn't it interesting the things we pick to study or be interested in? Mm. I find it I find it fascinating. You know, I get asked the question, why and why in the you know what did you ever decide to study the consequences of broken promises for 10 years? I don't have a good answer. I don't have a good answer. But, you know, part of this today and really the excitement in talking with you is what is it that enables person over here to say, uh, why the F can't I change? And person over here, I'm going to change no matter what. And they seem like they're too, this conversation seems very black and white. It's like, this is over here, this is over here. And yet, 
listening to you talk about that dark place in your dissertation, to me, it has so many layers that so many people experience and don't know what to do with. I think those both people are in us. Each of us have it, uh, both personas. And, and when we get in certain states, it is not possible to change, actually, while in other states, change is easy. So, so being able to have self-acceptance, to allow ourselves to just push through and survive the, the times when we can't deal with much is part of changing later on. Because if we, we accumulate a lot of guilt and um, self-hatred, that just later on prolongs that state where it would be very hard to change. Mm -hmm. If we just accept our state and are aware of it, and realize, okay, well, I'm in pretty good state now, but I can make it better. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that I need to make. And also if we follow a sensible strategy that works in accordance how the brain functions, we can, we can change so much. Uh, and, yeah, and let me ask you about that, because, you know, as we're talking about this, and I throw the question out there, what the F can't I change? The real question is, why? Mm. why and the this is really sort of on this continuum of conversation and which you brilliantly take on and how many people have you talked with how much of this just incredible work that you've done where people must be in front of us saying why why mm. why mary did it you know Dr. Pat did it. Benny did it. Ugh. I've been trying for 50 years. This is the big question, isn't it? Mm. I think it comes from misconception about the brain. Yeah. One of the main misconceptions is that change should be easy. We should be able to change anything quickly because we see people changing and we say, we internalize that and say, okay, well, if they can do it, why can't I? But the reality is, brain doesn't change unless it has the reason to. In order to create a change in the brain, it requires enormous amounts of energy, enormous amounts of repetition. And we only put that in if it's important to us. And if we have energy and, and resourcefulness, and if there is agreement between different areas of the brain as well, as very frequently, if there is inner conflict going on, that takes up most of energy. So, so I think there is many, many, many layers in finding the answer to that question. But just the main fact that we even ask that question just indicates that we have unrealistic expectations to our brains. Yeah, you know, sometimes that people look at this and, and, you know, this is part of what I want to talk with you about is, you know, we look at the why of something, but tied to it, right? is this idea of why can't I dot, dot, dot? Why can't I find a good job? Why can't I excel at this? Why can't I find the perfect person for me? Why can't I do this? But it almost sounds when we ask those questions that there's no behavioral aspect of that or that it's all behavioral, but it's way more complex than that. And so I want to talk about when we come back, the intersection between emotions, behavior, and old patterns. 
you know, when these three get together in a huddle, what happens and what can we do to change them? Of course, that's what you cover in your work and in your book. Let's take a short break. Everybody will be right back. Welcome to Light Body Wisdom with internationally known Light Body Whisperer, Grace Home. She will make you laugh and yawn as you release lifetimes of trauma and begin to feel much lighter. Your divine gifts may be activated, allowing you to weave light into the fabric of the world. Are you ready to be your own light and shine? For more information about Grace, visit gracegehome.com. That's gracegehome.com. Take the power of essential oil healing to the next level with the Essential Light Insight Deck, containing 61 oracle cards. Each card holds a painting and message that captures the spirit of an essential oil. By drawing a card, you'll illuminate the spiritual healing capacity of plants and transform your day. For more information about the Essential Light Insight Deck and Gen Reaper, visit Thriveology.com. Hi, this is Brittany Miles from Miles to Go, How to Lose to Gain It All. Here to share a tip with you. It's called five, four, three, two, one. We all need a break. Time to let it go. Here's a great go-to when you need to surrender and get back to the present moment. Acknowledge five things you see around you. Acknowledge four things you can touch around you. Acknowledge three things you hear. Acknowledge two things you can smell. Acknowledge one thing you can taste. And with that, take a deep breath. Now you're in the present moment. Brittany Miles, Miles to Go, How to Lose to Gain It All. You can find me on the second and fourth Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. Are you ready to shift your current beliefs about death from debilitating pain and loss? Follow Angie Corbett Kuyper as she shares that through choice, present moment awareness, and keeping an open mind. Anything is possible, even in death. Tune in to Beyond Proof Radio with Angie, redefining death and loss every first Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more, visit BeyondProof.com. Are you ready to let go of the I can'ts that are holding you down? Valerie Trujillo invites you to join her community on a mission to collectively heal as a tribe where your vulnerability is heard and reciprocated. So tune in to Love and Light with the Crystal Blue Oracle every second and fourth Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Valerie and her work, visit CrystalBlueOracle.com. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Listen, I know you've asked yourself this question. Why the, why the can't I change? Why? And, and, you know, where does that come from? Is it come from a place where something happens in your life? This is insights from a neurosci- neuroscientist to show you uh, what you can and what is possible. Uh, Dr. Gabia, would you please tell folks how they can find out about you, how they can get a copy of your book? Uh, most people seem to find my book on Amazon. Uh, so that's that's the probably quickest way to find it. Uh, so either typing the title, why the F can't I change? Or just typing my name, which probably you will see somewhere 
it's quite a complicated name to write. Um, and uh, they also you can you can find my book and some of my videos of some of my seminars and other work articles I've written uh, on my website, mybrainduringtheday.com. It's one <laughs> word, mybrainduringtheday.com. So, look, life comes along and we get passionate about something. This is a book you took on to write, right? And we just talked about some of the, some of the things you went through and, and what some of the things are that we go through in life. But most of us do want to change something about ourselves. We really do. We don't just kind of throw it out there. And most of the time, the, really, the things we really want to change, we don't talk about at all very much. But we know we are, we've got them in there to change. So this is a journey about understanding ourselves, but also understanding the brain and how the brain works, right? You know, as you wrote this book, what have you discovered about what you've changed and how you changed in the journey of writing the book? I think most of the work I developed for this book uh, came in the form before that in, in, in the seminars. So during the time of my PhD, I started creating and delivering seminars and public talks. Um, and, and then I selected nine most popular talks and put them in the book basically. But when I was doing those, those talks, I was going through the, through the process of rediscovering my career. So I knew that I loved learning about the brain. I loved understanding how the human mind works. But what I learned during my PhD is I didn't want to spend my life in the dark room of the laboratory. I didn't, didn't really want to, to basically be stuck in that environment. I wanted to apply neuroscience into real life, into real world. And when I was doing seminars, um, and the public talks in London were attended by about 10,000 people in total by now. And I did a lot of seminars in schools for teenagers, for various businesses. And I realized that people really loved learning about their brain. People really loved understanding how the mind works. And they kept coming to me after the talk and asking loads and loads of questions and sharing insights. That, wow, you know, like this is mind blowing. And I think that's what I discovered that those insights about our brain can help people to understand themselves better, to understand their own behavior better. And also most importantly, are crucial for us to using better strategies when we're trying to change. I want to ask you this. Do you think that we are so, let's just say curious about the brain, but also so, um, taken aback by it is because we think we don't have the ability to understand it. And that's where I think, you know, your book comes in because most of the time we pick up a book and it is so difficult for us to try to understand. And yet at the same time, the insights that you present in the book are for every person to be able to get their hands on and read. You know, was that had to be seriously important for you? Yeah, definitely. I, and I think that that is my biggest passion is bringing the real accurate neuroscience findings into the day-to-day -day setting of any kind of people. 
I, st I started with teaching teenagers about their brains and why they, they, they feel sometimes so emotional, why they feel so lost and things like that. And realized that 14 year old kids could understand neuroscience perfectly well. So it's like, if they can, um, then, then, then probably a lot of other people can as well. But most importantly, I learned that people care about what does it actually mean in my day-to-day -day life. And that's why my website, my brain during the day, they want to understand, okay, well, there is these chemicals in the brain, but what do they do? How, how does that impact my life? And the, the nicest thing about the brain, there is things that you can actually really find the real examples for. Um, you can find the evidence for, for how they impact our moods, our emotions, our behavior. And that, that was kind of, for me, it, it, it was and still is something where really, really, uh, you know, makes me sort of feel excited about about my work yeah and i gotta tell you i don't think you've left anything out of the book everything from changing the self to changing the habits to changing the emotions the personality changing the results changing the relationships um all of this is laid out in a book that is so understandable and so relatable but one of the things that you talk about, and I want to get to that as well, uh, is changing your brain health, changing mm -hmm. your brain health. So we don't really think about our brain and health, right? Sometimes we think, oh, I got to change my body. I'm going to have a bunch of green drinks. But we don't really think changing my brain health. And that, when I read this and what, what you put in here, everything from why we sleep and brain-gut relationships, I just thought for a minute, does changing your brain health float to the top of your list? Definitely, especially for people who do have specific issues going on. So if somebody has gut inflammation, and if that has caused inflammation in blood vessels in the brain, you can try whatever you like you'll still be stuck in depressive patterns, you, your brain, you'll get chronic migraines and you wouldn't be able to think clearly. You, you know, and without that, everything would be really, really difficult to, to, to accomplish. The same sleep, you know, when we talk about managing moods, sometimes just getting enough sleep every night already actually sorts out our excessive moods and situations. So, so those things are, are the first thing to, to, to manage in our, in our uh, life. But for some, it, like once, once you, you know, look at the chapter, you can assess for yourself at the end of the chapter, include certain questions where you could, which could help you to assess whether you're doing well in the area or not. And, and, and if you seem like you're doing okay, then you can start with the next step already. If you score highly on such things as nutrition, uh, sleep, um, taking breaks, then you might need to sort, sort that out first. Yeah. And that's what I love about this because it really is when I think about this and I, and there's so much great information in the book, right? But you also make this so personable, you know, when you ask the question, so how do we actually change this? This is a question in your book. How do we actually change? You know, as a reader, you get glued to it to say, oh, that, oh, is that what we're talking about here? 
you know, does that is what am I doing with that? How am I doing with that? And then, you know, as I decided to go through this, you always ask the question about how are we doing? You know, what is it about? Here's the thing I want to ask you about. And, and this has been sort of a topic that came out from a series of how should I call it? I think organizational ideas about why we don't talk about emotions in organizational psychology work, you know, and, and that it's like a golden rule. Like I worked in the organization, then I was a consultant. And can you imagine me being a consultant after studying broken promises and not talking about emotions? In or can you imagine me showing up in front of a board of directors, right? No. But what you get, what you get hit with is come in here, we want to work with you, but don't talk about feelings, don't talk about emotions. What is the impact of a societal notation? And not every culture is like this, but I must say like my Italian and my South American family, we don't have an issue with that. So grandpa from Brazil and all my South American, all my relatives down there, we don't have an issue with that. But we live now, we're in the United States. And I got to tell you, I've been in front of rooms and corporations where they say we don't hug here. Now this is before COVID. What is the impact of us literally asking the question, why the F can I talk about my emotions, doctor? Yeah, I think it's tricky. <laughs> that, that kind of culture creates a denial and, and sort of it keeps us away from very, very important information. Now, emotions are created by brain regions, which can be grouped into so-called mammalian brain complex. These are quite ancient regions, which animals such as dogs and cows and so on also have very similar regions. And those regions are constantly observing the environment and assessing, is it good for you or not? Is it suitable for you or not? What has similar environment produced for you in the past and so on so it kind of constantly assesses whether basically you would survive there or not and if if it, it thinks okay you're not likely to survive that that's not good for you it tries to stay your way creating emotions such as anxiety fear anger sadness but if we sort of instead of looking at those emotions and asking what is this emotion telling me about this situation this relationship or my lifestyle, if we are in such a denial of our emotions and we use things like sugary snacks, alcohol, um, Netflix to escape and change emotional patterns, we keep staying in situations that are not good for us for longer, which eventually we lose touch with who we are and what's suitable for us. And then we wonder, why am I so unhappy? Why am I unfulfilled? Why, why do I need to, to take another pill for my depression? So emotions really kind of keep us, give us, it's like a feedback mechanism. It's an ancient one and quite a primitive one, but it's very intelligent nonetheless. It's not rational, actually, but it's very intelligent. So, so when in organizations, emotions are not discussed, we can't understand what's suitable for the team, what's not. 
maybe maybe the way the tasks are executed, maybe something doesn't sit right with people. And they would be much more fulfilled and produce much better results if they chose different strategy, if there was a more empowering dynamic going on. And keeping that sort of hidden away, which is function half optimally. So it's not suitable for anyone, but at the same time, it doesn't disturb anyone. So it's, 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 it's very challenging culture to change. And often, I'm often asked to give seminars. And yesterday, I given one on, on different styles of leadership. And, and, and what is, you know, the kind of what leaders are needed these days in these tricky post-pandemic or still pandemic times. And, and I have to admit, really, leaders who truly connect to people at the real level, not that, okay, that's how I think things should be, um, are really, really necessary nowadays. Yeah. Not only that, I'm so glad that you did, you shared that with them, right? You share that yeah, information. Well, okay, the, good. Well, I share neuroscience insights. And the, exactly. Okay. <laughs> because the one of the latest studies that Sodesta did about Generation Z and then Generation Z1, Z2, all of them, they did a study and they asked these people, and I, I'm so interested in this because this is this is the, what I ask. I ask people, what do you feel X is obligated to provide you with? That's my favorite question. I'm not going to ask you that today, but... I love the question. So they asked these recruits, right? Because they have to study how are we going to get the best talent in? How are we going to know what they want? So here is the mind-blowing bit of information. And we'll talk about this when we come back from break. So when they ask in the latest national international survey, what is the what is that number one thing you've got to have, your organization has to have? Compassion and empathy across mm. the board, not money, not benefits. And they could have asked for anything, not money, not benefits. Of course, there are other categories. But that one, the question is, can you teach someone something you may not think you have? When we come back. We're not only going to talk about that, but how does that play out in our relationships? And there's a part of your book that when I read it, I had post-traumatic stress disorder for a moment. <laughs> when I'm thinking about a past relationship I was in and the absolutely powerful Imago therapy, we're going to take a short break, everybody. When we come back, relationships who should change first we'll be right back are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me ellen stewart Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, 
on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody, it's me, psychic medium Jamie. And me, Spirit Walker Nicole. We are so excited to introduce you to our new live call in show called Shades of Spirit on TransformationTalkRadio.com. As we connect you with your crossed over loved ones, angels, and guides, and also help you develop your own psychic and healing abilities. For more information and to book your own private experience, go to ShadesOfSpirit.com and also follow us on TransformationTalkRadio.com. How many times do you find yourself saying, it was nothing, or just doing my job, when really you knocked it out of the park? How did you get like this? Next time someone tells you, great job, you'll know how to accept it and not deflect it by listening to Courage to be Seen Radio with host Sherry Clark. Sherry Clark is an experienced global engineering leader, coach, and mentor. From her experiences one-on-one coaching to corporate consulting and executive coaching, Sherry has learned many women need at least three things to discover and face success. Learn about the ACES program, how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self and how far you can go by being more you. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com. You have the courage to be seen. See you later. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack, and I'm excited to tell you about the latest technology. It is new to this country, and it's just amazing. It's out of Germany. The Healy is state-of-the-art technology for improving and changing the body vibration. I have more information about the Healy on my website, maryjanemack.com, or you can call the office at 888-777-4232. Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome back. Um, This is, for those of you out there, Why the F Can't I Change? And, you know, this book, Dr. Gabia wrote this book, but more importantly, you know, this is a book, Insights from a Neuroscientist. Uh, that show you that show that you can. And so when you go through the book, and we're just touching upon a number of different things in the book, when you go through this book, what I really found and want to share with everybody, everything that you've put in the book is put in a perspective or put in a way that people that are going through their average everyday life will get it. Right? Everything from when you talk about how to cultivate a growth mindset and you talk about the words we say, right? You're so clever. Uh, you're really talented. And, and then I think about the studies we've done on self-fulfilling prophecies and how powerful they were. But in the world we're living in here today, doctor, the thing that I'm struck by is we are all here on a planet with other people. Our relationships stem from brother, sister, mother, father, work, right? Um, Love relationships, political relationships we have. And yet, in the world we're living in today, we see divorce rates that are so high. So there's obviously something that we don't understand enough about. There's obviously something that we don't believe we can change, but most importantly, probably I don't have to change, you do. You adjust relationships in your book. What would you say from your perspective, where are we in our ability 
to be able to shift and change in relationship to another person, especially in a romantic way? Mm. Well, that's, that's a very good question. When we choose whom to be with, we, we can use different decision-making systems. We can use a rational decision-making system, which is basically writing down the qualities you want in a person and basically searching for somebody who meets those criteria. That's also called decision-making system too by Daniel Kahneman. Or most frequently, we, we choose people based on our intuitive system or system one, also called making decisions by our guts or emotions. Now, those two different systems use different wisdom. Our mammal brain, which creates system one, always wants familiarity. It seeks the patterns that seem familiar, that take enough familiarity for us to feel like at home in a way. If you had wonderful upbringing, which with, with really loving people around you who are empowering and loving you unconditionally, and that was demonstrated verbally and by actions, then it's easy for you. If you have had a little bit trickier childhood or later on life where you, you dealt with challenges, where you felt criticized, unaccepted, felt like you needed to change, or you experienced abandonment in, in some form or shape, you will be drawn to those patterns. And as an adult, you might even ask, so why am I drawn to this, let's say, emotional and available man or woman? Why always like kind of choose somebody like I don't want to be with somebody like that? Right. So that just means that your mammal brain is trying to bring you back home. So when we make those choices, the worst thing is that those dynamics, uh, which we got drawn to by, by our mammal brain, will constantly trigger the deepest traumas of our childhood, which inevitably put us in so-called amygdala dominant thinking, where we react, we are much more, we basically crazy, you know, in that state. Yeah. Just to, some of us go withdraw, some of us get aggressive, some of us sort of uh, try to manipulate and gaslight. We use the techniques we would normally use have we felt empowered and accepted for who we were. And those things often are just like, you, you know, if you observe yourself, if you were in, 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 in that kind of dynamics, you say, oh, I act like a crazy toddler or whatever. It's not like a grown up, right? And that's because the wounds probably have been created at a very early age. Once they triggered, literally, uh, it brings quite a primal behaviors. Now, when we make choices and you say, okay, well, so shall I use the other decision-making system to choose people who tick the boxes? And if you have ever tried that, what, the out what was the outcome? Most people say, well, I chose a person on the paper. He seemed amazing or she or he, but I just didn't fall for him or her. It just felt lukewarm. It felt boring. I didn't really feel connected because love uh, at the very kind of primal sense yeah. attraction and kind of connection they stem from those mammal brain regions they don't come from the rational regions such as prefrontal cortex however if we choose people purely who truly truly trigger those very very raw traumas we can't really do much with our dynamics either. However, if we choose the relationship, well, firstly, in order to choose, make healthier choices with mammal brain, we need to do inner healing first, or else we're doomed to either go through people we, we, we really don't relate to and don't feel for, or the ones who trigger trauma. The more healing we do, 
the healthier our so-called amygdala, amygdala state is, the better choices we make. And once we make sort of somewhere in between choice where the person, you know, doesn't trigger that trauma to such extent and we, we, we can actually admit, you can say, you know, that's really painful to me. Can we, can we try to find a way around? And if the person creates safety and says, you know what, Let, let's do it. Let's try to find the solution. That's the best healing environment. We can't heal relationship wounds when we are not in a relationship. We need safe and healthy relationship to go through the healing process. And there is all the machinery in the brain that allows us to do. There is chemical called oxytocin, which is, is triggered when we are in love and, and which increases brain plasticity. So increases our chances, in other words, to relearn the patterns and do in a, in a healing. But before we, we, we sort of consider, especially if you have had a lot of hurt from relationships, right. before you jump in another relationship, do some inner healing first. Yeah. You know, this is obviously, first of all, thank you for coming here today. Your work is groundbreaking, but here's what I'm most excited about. I'm most excited. I'm, I'm really excited about what you're going to create. And what I mean by what you're going to create, I'm talking about the body of work that you take I can't even begin to imagine how many hours you have put into research and papers and publications. I've read some of them. And, and I'm thinking to myself, she's going to create something really cool, really groundbreaking in the way that we work with other people to help them. Now, I don't know if I'm mind reading, pretty intuitive, but based on what you've put in the book, and based on what you've studied and your passion and purpose and the clarity you have by which we can change. Mm. This is to me, the tools that come forward from you and some of the tools are in the book. Aren't these really sort of the blueprint for people to wrap their minds around the ability to change in the fast-pacedness and the world we're in. Mm, yeah, well, I'm glad that you see it that way. I think in order for us to really understand why we have struggled to create change in whatever area of life we, 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 we've been struggling with, and in order to do things differently, we need to assess and understand why those strategies didn't work and learn new strategies. And I offer brain-based strategies based on the research. And then I, you know, I tested them with my clients, coaching clients. Yeah. And we, we managed to get very good results. But what my book isn't, it's not a quick fix. No. It's not going to be like you read it and you, you suddenly got an insight which completely would change your life. You will need to put the work in. I'll yeah. explain you the reasons what work would pay off, which one wouldn't. But, but... If you really do honest inventory of, of, of your patterns and put the work in, um, you can create very big and meaningful change in your life. And that doesn't have to be painful. That, that doesn't even have to be very long, but it has to take efforts and dedication. And it has to be change which you really want to create. Yeah. Now, I've saved the best for last. Maybe. I don't know. But 
one of the topics that is so important to so many people right now is improving memory. And you've included this in, in your work. And you talk about the different kinds of memory, right? You talk about, you, you know, you talk about explicit and you talk about implicit. And I want to ask you this question. W what level of hope can we have to really take this very scary area and know that the future may be one where we can improve memory? Mm. There is lots of hope. But firstly, before we even try to improve anything, we need to accept what's there. And when I, when I used to teach uh, students in, in schools, the neuroscience, I used to ask them a question when I taught them about different kinds of memory. Instead of asking, how good is your memory? I would ask, which of your memory is best? Which of the memory you really, really kind of excel at? And some of them were really good at skills and, and learning things by experience. Others were really good with facts. And they could quote the movie lines, you know, like geniuses. But yet they couldn't really remember what, what, they, what they did for the birthday, right? So different, different people sort of have optimal different kinds of memory. And once we know that, we can use that to improve other kinds of memory, which are not that good. So we can create strategies, basically using our strengths to overcome our weaknesses. Now, so that's the first, first part of the improving memory. Now, second part is, and probably the most sort of uh, the quickest in producing results and the most important is training our attention. The brain doesn't, is not designed to remember everything. Brain has been designed to remember things that are important, that are meaningful. How we show to the brain that, that something is meaningful by paying attention, being undivided attention. And if our mind wanders and we half read or listen, and keep on jumping, attention keeps on jumping to the left, right, and center, we just show to the brain that's not that important. Yeah. So the brain is not going to memorize mm. that. So two, two ways we can show the brain that that's important. A, training our attention and paying single focus, paying undivided attention when we are trying to learn something. And secondly, when something triggers emotions in us, Emotions is the way for the brain to basically put the label, that's important. Even if it's negative emotions, some you know, things that worry us, we remember, you know, if something yeah. frightened you, you would remember. Yeah. If something really, really cool, felt like, wow, that's amazing, that's really interesting, you'd remember. So kind of seeing those, looking for the, reading information or looking through life, if we want to remember, you know, the, the, the events in life, and really looking through your own eyes, through your own sort of personality, through the things that are important, you personalizing your learning would, would make a big difference in the way you remember things. And, you know, I, I really thank you. First of all, let me thank you for um, the body of work that, one, it's more than inspiring for people. It is an education. And I think sometimes, you know, for many of us, we have to understand you know, we're not robots. You know, if you say, go do this, I don't know. I want to know, okay, what's underneath that? Not everybody does. But I think that what you've been able to provide is to say, look, this is the underpinnings. This is how, th these are how things work. 
And, you know, as we go through this and we're looking at what is most important for us to learn now, you actually give us a menu to choose from of what we can work on. Um, but I agree with you completely. Change, and therefore this book, which is so grounded in science, as well as in what people do every day, in our what we think in our brains, what goes on in our brains. This is one of these, these invitations for people to really explore what it would mean to change, mm -hmm. what it would really mean. And to know that somebody like you is out there that can help them, right? Um, where do you see, where do you see the, one of the most important things from your perspective? What is one of the most important areas that you see folks out there, and this is a very general term, folks out there could benefit from focusing on in change in their life? What area might pop up for you right now? I think it's just, if I look at the core, in order to, it's very um, counterintuitive. In order to change, we need to accept who we are. Yeah. So it's like kind of you would expect different, right? You would expect like, well, I just need to hate myself enough and create change. <laughs> it couldn't be further from the truth. The more we understand ourselves, our behavior, and how the past history have created those patterns, would give lots of awareness why we're stuck in them. And therefore, wisdom on what it takes for us to meet those needs in better ways, what it takes for us to kind of really, these are important needs we are meeting with repeating those patterns, which are probably not beneficial, but we can't just get rid of them. We can replace them over time with better ones, but we need to be in a better state and feel better about ourselves. And we also need to use strategies that are actually working in accordance with how your brain functions. So my biggest hope for this book, it helps people to really not only understand themselves, but sort of get to love and accept themselves for who they are. And in that way, they would be able to create more meaningful change in their life in becoming more and more who they are. And basically their life demonstrating, this is who I am. My work, my career, this is who I am. It's not something what John or Susie or somebody else would have created. It's my work. This is my family. It's, it's, it's the way I want it to be. This is my body. That's the way I feel healthy and enjoy looking and enjoy feeling, right? So yeah. basically owning and creating things based on who you are at the core. And there is no two people alike. If you look at the brain after brain after brain, they are all individual. They are all unique. So there, it's pointless asking for advice. It's pointless trying to repeat and follow the change other people created. So therefore, in the book, instead of giving advice, I ask questions. I give tools for people to figure yeah. out their own answers. And I provide quite, you know, significant amount of theory and examples to feed the thinking process that's needed for us to understand ourselves better. So that's that's my biggest wish and biggest desire that my work really helps people yeah. to, to achieve that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, the chapter you put in here on motivation was a real life example of a big dialogue that I was having with my table tennis coach. And, you know, it was interesting that I was reading your book and getting ready for it today. And in the backdrop of my mind was a conversation 
with him about learning a particular stroke. And what I realized in this is <clears throat> my motivation for learning it comes from pure passion of the sport. And his perception of me learning it was 100% all in. But what I realized is as you actually learn to hit a ball 60 miles an hour is that sometimes you do it perfectly and sometimes you don't. And I just catch myself often on the moments that I don't. Am I able to move past that nanosecond of when I don't? And when you play a sport like that, if you blink that next ball is coming at you and you will get hurt. But what I realized in reading this chapter on motivation and talking about it was if I just changed my perception of that incident in that moment, if I just changed my perception of what I thought I couldn't do with that, and I found it really interesting because mm. it didn't take very much for me to make that shift. But I never put motivation and perception together the way you did in this chapter. And, I'm, and of course, I'm giving a cliff notes about it. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful the way you've done this. I want to thank you for today. And I want to thank you for really, um, you know, leading the direction of change that is so needed, especially in how we understand ourselves and how we get right with who we are today, how we really come to peace with who we are today. Um, because resentment and anger and frustration and guilt and shame, all the things you mentioned in the book, I've never found them helpful for me to change. Mm. Thank okay. you for all that you're doing. Well, what you is your personal message? Yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see what else you do. What is your personal message? And please let folks know how they can get a copy of the book and find out more about you. What do you want to leave us with today? I think I gave the most important message in the previous uh, question, yeah. actually. You yeah. know, self-acceptance and getting to know who you are. I think that's, that's my biggest, biggest hope and wish for people learning about their brains. And I think neuroscience is such a fascinating tool to achieve it because at the end of the day everything begins and ends in your brain it does it yeah does. and and again if, if if to just to remind my book you can find my book on amazon and in multiple other bookshops it's on in audio format kindle format paperback format uh but if you really struggle to find it just go to my website mybrainduringtheday.com 